we dream and it feels real. Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. My guest this episode is Rihanna Milkar Scott, an author whose work has been published in The Kenyan Review, The Toast, Melville House, among others. His debut short story collection, Insurrections, won the Penn Robert W. Bingham Award for Debut Fiction and is now out in trade paperback. I first discovered Rion with his story Numbers, also set in the fictional town of Cross River, Maryland, in the anthology Long Hidden, which you've heard me talk about before. This episode, Rion and I will discuss some of his influences, the juxtaposition of the realistic and fantastic in his stories, and imagining a past. Also, Charles Pesur recommends short stories with an unlikely science fiction fantasy staple. As usual, I started things off by asking Rion about his early reading experiences. I've always sort of leaned towards the fantastic. Yeah, I was introduced to you know sort of comic books early early on. I'm trying to think of what I what, what I read. I remember when I was a kid, there was this book, uh, Top Secret, by um, I think it's John Gardner about this boy who turned okay. into a plant. Uh, <laughs> it just tickled me the idea of this boy, you know, uh, struggling to not turn into a plant. And I think eventually he turns his teacher into a plant or something like that. So you know that that that's. What I, what I really like about things that are fantastical is that you can imagine a sort of sort of different future. You know, the the idea that we're not bound by our our, our senses, our five senses is uh is a really, you know, intriguing idea. It's always been a really intriguing idea. Okay. Were you a English major of some sort in college? Yeah, I was a journalism major and okay. uh, and I was and that led to me being a journalist for a couple of years. I think I'm I'm far more suited to you know, to to making up uh making up things and reporting things as they are. <laughs> Truth isn't really bound by facts, you know. It, it's really fun for me to get beyond the the facts. Do you have a reading kind of practice or routine? Well, I try to I try to start with a with a poem, and uh, a lot of times I um and, and you know when I ease into uh you know whatever, whatever I'm reading a short story or a novel I like to read what's a lot of times I'm reading something that's gonna gonna connect back and make me reflect on on uh on what I'm what I'm doing at the moment right now I'm reading uh Helen Oyoyemi um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly uh what is not yours is not yours uh which uh you know I, I think is you know really great great collection of short stories you want to talk speculative that's um. That is, uh, you know, she, 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 that's, it's, it's, it's there on every page, you know, the stories with, uh, with puppets, uh, <laughs> puppets, uh, you know, the coming alive, doing their thing. <laughs> it's a really good book. I think you said earlier about imagining a future, but you actually, you imagined a past in Cross River, Maryland, which is the town where most all of your stories are set and is a imagined town that was founded by freed slaves after a slave rebellion right right and so that is almost like sort of like wish fulfillment you know the idea that you know all all slave revolts in in this country that you know that i read about you know always ends with always ends with john brown being hung or, or or nat turner nat turner dying so the question i asked was you know what would happen if there was a there's a slave revolt like they had in Haiti that was successful, and there was a town founded afterward. You know, I, I say imagining a different future, but I guess it's sort of just imagining a different reality. 
do I remember that Cross River has actually appeared like on a on a TV Chiron at some point? Because you you got credited as being from Cross River somewhere along the along the way. My Twitter uh, location is, is is Cross River Maryland, so I think I was uh I was on a uh, on an internet show. I was asking a question um, of of an author, <laughs> and they put Cross River Maryland as my location, which I thought was hilarious. All right, which is you know which is cool because I really do feel like I'm in Cross River. You know, I'm always I'm I feel like. You know, I'm I'm imagining it. I'm imagining myself there. You know, it, it's very real to me. One of the things that really struck me as I was reading Insurrections is that some of it seemed really realistic and plausible, and some of it tending towards kind of magical realism, and some of it really strongly felt like reimagining or retelling very familiar stories. The one that I just loved was the story of the guy who's probably a drug dealer and who is also writing down the language of Cross River. That's Juba. He's, I mean, you're playing with invented languages and the recording of invented languages, which is this very common thing that fantasy authors love to indulge themselves in, right there in Cross River. And having it sit next to more mimetic stories in the, in the collection and also like having it sit in Cross River, Maryland rather than an imagined Middle Earth felt really both both very familiar and new and exciting for me. Um, and I it, it delighted me. Butting up the, the realistic next to the, the fantastic or the tending towards fantastic is, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's very natural, sort of like how I see how I how I see things. I think it's how most of us see things. We, we we try not to we try not to see it that way for the sake of you know continuity. <laughs> I also asked Rian about his influences and aesthetic choices beyond prose novels. Books have been a constant, but you know, it was always, there's always comic books. One thing I like about the DC comics and the Marvel comics I always liked was that there was this uh, this world that connected beyond the beyond the individual stories and something that spider-man didn't one in one book would affect something that the fantastic four did in another book and and i think that that has been a real big influence on on my work you know the just the idea of of an ongoing world you know how i feel about cross river is that it's a it's, it's ongoing it's happening right now <laughs> um and i that i think that very much comes from from spending all those uh all those hours you know, reading, reading about, reading about uh, Spider-Man. And I also think that, you know, I would, I would have been a writer with or without uh, hip hop, but I was very lucky to come up in, in a time when, when there was a, there was a music that, that was focused specifically on language. And a lot of the writers that I, a lot of the rappers that I tended to gravitate towards, their music was, you know, was also a secondary commentary on on language on and and the, whether they were whether they were using language that was that was there or they were building language um you know building language out of you know the wreckage of the wreckage of uh, of what was all, all around them it was always fascinating you know you know look, listening to you know my favorite group was Wu-Tang one thing that excited me about them was the possibilities of language like oh that would that word can mean that too that word can be stretched to uh to have a have a different of a differing meaning there, there's there you might be talking about you know one topic that a lot of other people are talking about but the set of language you're using completely different and that changes everything mm -hmm. that idea um is sort of built into into what i do when you talk about about language 
what I remember from insurrections is conversations. And I mean, you've got, you've got conversations between parents and kids. You've got conversations between, between groups of friends, between lovers. I'm remembering there was an essay by Kaya Shante Wilson about using dialect and dialogue and language to build a world. And of course I was like, world building is, you know, other stuff it's although 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 now that i think about it for tolkien it's also it's also language and that is my usual touchstone um but that that seemed like it came across very strongly again just in a way that i'm not i'm not as used to reading if they have their own world and their own particular history they're going to have their own particular language to describe that world and you know, I think a lot of the conversation comes from the fact right. that when I was writing a, a lot of it, I was reading, I was reading August Wilson plays a lot. Um, you know, a lot of his plays, he plays with the uh, speculative ideas, gem of the ocean, this whole magical realist, uh, you know, element, and this, this uh, where, where they're going down into the ocean to the land of bones, right? The dead who who came over on the on the middle passage, and there's a a, a woman, Mama Esther, who's in several of the plays, who's hundreds of years old, and the rhythm of the language, you know, reading reading his plays, uh, I think really seeped into. I, I think I tried to borrow. You said wish fulfillment earlier. You talked about Cross River as wish fulfillment, and I think my initial thought, if I heard an author saying I was writing some wish fulfillment, would be happier and easier than Cross <laughs> River and a lot of the stories are. And I mean, I mean, part of that is, I guess, being a town in in the United States in the the late twentieth and early twenty first century, a, t- a town of, of of slaves that won their freedom um, would not be easy or happy, but you, you acknowledge that. And you like many of the people in Cross River have a pretty hard time and a pretty hard life. Didn't you ever just want to like, I don't know, let them fly away? <laughs> uh, where's the fun in that? <laughs> I think that, I, you know, I think that the, 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 the fulfillment of the wish comes for in that the people of Cross River, uh, I don't know if it comes across in the story, but to me, there's a, uh, you know, there's a pride in in knowing that you know that this is this is the history of pride that that I, you know I can't necessarily um, you know connect with in that you know my, my a lot of my history is is cut off from me because of because of the tragic history of of the world, right? So um, being being a, a a black person from in the African diaspora, you know. There, there were there were no Scots in uh, <laughs> there were no Scots in Africa, right? So you know I, I you know there's a <laughs> there's a disconnect, right? Um, and so the people across rivers sort of have this disconnect, but then they have they have something, right? They they have something of a pride, you know that, that I was descendant, I was a, a descendant of of this from this great insurrection, and uh, mm-hmm. and no matter what, no matter what, they have that. Three insurrections. There's, uh, you know, there's the the father trying to connect to that, trying to connect to that history, becoming, you know, uh, uh, taking that mantle on, and 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 trying to pass it along to his son. And the same thing in Juba. You know, it's a pride in that they, that we built this thing and we have this language and we've built this language and this is ours, no matter what. I think that that definitely did come through very strongly, and especially for me, I three insurrections was a great way to end the collection and and really pulled a lot of threads together. Now, some short story recommendations from Charles Pesor. Whales. You know, it seems almost weird to say that whales have long been a staple of SFF. And yet, as I think about all the various media I had growing up, 
SFF and whales have always gone rather hand in hand, from Pinocchio to the brood ships made from space whales and X-Men to Star Trek The Voyage Home and beyond. There's something about the behemoths of the sea that have inspired storytellers since humans first looked out at the vast oceans and got a glimpse of what lurked beneath the waves. They might be monsters or gentle giants, but they show up in SFF over and over again, and I want to devote my recommendations today to great examples of recent-ish SFF short stories that make great use of various kinds of whales. I'll start with the oldest of the stories I'll be looking at today, which originally appeared in Lightspeed Magazine's June 2015 special Queers Destroy Science Fiction issue, a brief history of whaling with remarks upon ancient practices by Nicasio Andres Reed takes the idea of whaling and sets it in space, where a race of enormous creatures draw out human hunters to tame and to exploit them. This is a wrenchingly dark piece told with a flair that makes the violence it reveals almost alluring. It leans on the practices and excesses and tragedies of the history of whaling on Earth to show where that leads. A sea as big as space, and yet it's not big enough for these creatures to hide in, not space enough to be protected from the greed and bloodlust of those who need to destroy something big to keep from feeling small. It is a story told with fanfare and gusto and a slowly sinking horror that cannot be turned away from, that must be declared and examined. February 2016 saw the release of The Strange Little Clowns, the unlikely Calrophobia remix from Unlikely Story, which included the delightfully odd Wailing with Clowns by Chris Curiata. In this piece, a ship has been stuck at sea for a long time, and they risk life and limb when they decide to try and use their clown for whaling. The piece is pure horror and pure what-the-f and pure great, it might not complicate humanity's relationship with whales too much, but it does show the lengths humans will go to hunt, and how that hunger can be turned against them. The story is full of action and adventure, fantasy and horror, and echoes much of the disturbing tone of the last piece, while segueing nicely into the next, which is from April of 2016. Whale Oil by Sylvia V. Lindstedt from Benicis the Skies explores an alt-historical San Francisco Bay, where Altair, a young man with a talent for seeing things, discovers that the lamps and lights of the city, fueled by oil derived from whales and seals, has brought some complications. Again, the theme of exploitation is front and center, as Altair is burdened by the sight of what is happening, by the animal cost of the power coursing through the city. It's not something that he can easily ignore, as much as other people have no problem with whale ghosts floating around. So he acts and he seeks help in acting, and I love that the story acknowledges that even as he is provoked into action because he cannot look away from these ghosts, there are deeper wrongs still that he cannot see, and that he still has to be mindful of the cost of energy, even if it seems like there is none. It's a great story about harm and about recognizing the damage that human greed and comfort can do. Moving forward again, The Beachings by J.Y. Yang, which appeared in the fall 2016 issue of the Sock Dowager, offers another bleak view of the world, where, like the last story, the focus is on cost and sight. Here Ada, who lives with her brother and father along the coast, is witness to a series of whales beaching themselves, and of the men who arrive under cover of darkness to use the body, to strip it down for valuable parts, even when they know it's wrong. And Ada, for all that she wants to do something, is isolated and alone, 
and rather powerless. The story doesn't look away from the way that power is used to justify exploitation, even in the face of the knowledge that it's unsustainable. Whales here, like in many of the stories, come to represent a beautiful and finite presence, more than a resource because these are intelligent beings who humanity should be helping instead of systematically destroying. It's bleak and it's difficult, and it's also powerful and haunting. Bringing things to the much more recent past, I want to look at a pair of stories from May and June's Clark's World issues. The first, We Who Live in the Heart, by Kelly Robson, reveals an Earth where the surface of the planet is largely unlivable, and humanity has fled beneath the surface in order to survive, organizing themselves into a very controlled environment and structure where people are expected to work under rather strict direction and always with the good of all in mind. For some, though, the pressure to perform and the expectation to always engage in only certain kinds of work is too great a price to pay, and some has found a way to reclaim a bit of the freedom that the surface represented by colonizing the bodies of great whale-like beings that float around over Earth. It's a rather precarious situation, but one that these people make work, and indeed, unlike a lot of the other stories on the list, this one is about cooperation and hope about finding a place to be free and different, though admittedly it does include humans carving into living entities to make homes. It's a conflicting, complicated piece that still reaches for a place of openness and community, which is an interesting wrinkle for a whale story. Lastly, An Account of the Sky Whales by A.Q. and translated by Andy Dudak follows a man who has overcome his fear of flying to travel to a distant world to collect the remains of his ex-girlfriend, Frond, in an effort to return her to Earth. Instead, he quickly becomes embroiled in a battle between a group of whale poachers and a particularly vengeful sky whale. The setting is gloriously revealed, and the conflict finds the main character learning to leave behind the securities of the ground and finding something to believe in and fight for. The plight of the sky whales draws him out of his shell, reminds him that though it's too late for Fron, the work she was doing is still vital, and that his fear might have always been about losing the comforts he was accustomed to more than really being in danger. It's a fun and triumphant piece that manages to capture why whales and speculative fiction pair so well, imagining a universe where whales might finally be able to fight back against the humans hurting and killing them, and find a better way forward where humans and whales are equals. So, there you have it. Six speculative stories that show how whales and SFF make excellent bedfellows. Thank you. And we're going to move from whales to fatherhood, a theme in many of the stories and insurrections, and one that's of a special interest to me. Yeah, I would say I wrote about half of it after I became a father, and, um, you know, it's it's been transformative in a in a very positive way, but I can't say there weren't there weren't very uh there weren't weren't difficulties um and concerns and uh and and I think being a father has uh has offered me a chance to reflect and uh and have like a lot of uh you know a lot of a uh, lot more more sympathy for my own parents you know I think mm-hmm. I think that you know no no one tells you how to do this. So yeah, so I think a lot of that, a lot of that came came through, you know, and I think the fact that you know I wanted to sit down and talk to my father because Three Insurrections was a was a pulled directly from interviews that I I did with my father, 
and I think uh, wanting to do that comes directly from 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 being a father and and trying to figure out how how he got to be who who he was. I also asked Rion what else he's reading these days. It's poetry, well, mostly poetry. Um, Tayan Bajess's Olio, which just won the the Pulitzer. You know, it's it's it sort of uh, reimagines uh, uh, minstrel shows in a in a very fragmentary um, uh, way. I felt my head spinning after after I put down the 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 book, and it, you know, it's it's poetry and uh, mostly poetry. A lot there's a lot of there's some some fiction weaved into it, uh, but it's a uh, you know it kind of it's sort of it sort of made me think about about what what, what I was what I'm doing because uh, you know he sort of reimagines reimagines history. Uh, and uh, and you know it it made me think a lot about about the about the present as well. Talk to me about reading poetry. I keep wanting to, and I had this sense that I probably need to just sort of slow down and change my attitude a little bit to to be less about like let me get through this and understand it, and more just experiencing it. Was that something you had to practice or had to learn? Well, I mean, I think all reading is uh. All reading is a skill. A lot of it's finding finding what what you like and what what's gonna connect with you. But it, you know, to me, it's it's more about feeling feeling it uh, than 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 understanding understanding it for for the plot or whatever. <laughs> and for me, it, it it really supercharges my language. You know, any day without it is uh, is uh, is is difficult for me. Uh, like I'm I'm I, I just finished uh, some Neruda poems. Um, and I, I'm without a book now. Uh, so it's uh, you know I didn't I, I didn't have that uh, that that diet today, but I think uh, you know I think there there are a lot of uh, a lot of good places to start you know um, to me uh, to me there's uh, there's no one better than than Neruda. Each episode closes with a memory of a significant book, the right book at the right time, an interesting find, or just something that stuck around. <laughs> it's gonna sound strange. The the book Pinocchio. Um, the the original original Pinocchio. Uh, I don't know how I got my hands on it, uh, and I, I read it okay. as an adult, not as a not as a not as a child. I read it as an adult. You know, it was a very very difficult time. You know, my, my I had my grandmother just passed. I just started uh, teaching, um, and I wasn't very good at it. Uh, <laughs> uh, or at least I didn't think I was very good at it. Uh, and and it was uh it was it was the end of that semester, and I just needed to to clear my head. So I said, I'm just gonna read this. This this little this kitty book and um you know it's something that I, that I go back to when 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 things are difficult it's it is the most it's the craziest narrative I could uh I I can imagine it's a uh, you know it's not it's not really like the movie um it's uh, you know a lot of it doesn't a lot of it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make logical sense but it, it's fun you know it's a lot of fun and the resonance for me is that you know I was you know I was want to write something that is uh um that you know, can can connect to to that to that fun center, um, even even if it's uh, even if there's a there's a heaviness to it. Uh, I want people to have have fun on some level with the with the language with the words. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show on the website cabbagesandkings.audio. There's a feedback form, or just go ahead and email contact at cabbagesandkings.audio. The show is on Twitter at King Cabbage Cast. Let me know what you enjoyed, what books you're reaching for now, and what I can do to make the show better. The website also has a link to the RSS feed for the show, which you can also find on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, enjoy your reading.